Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with Kiwi entrepreneur, Ange Foster. I learned of Ange's story this year at the start of the COVID restrictions around Australia. And if you met her at a gathering or bumped into her on the street, you'd never know that she has to take medication to keep her heart doing its job. Diagnosed with heart failure back in 2017 gave her a renewed outlook on life. She started a premium gift box business that helps other businesses showcase their products and gets their name out to the public. She volunteers as a committee member on the Heart Foundation's Supporting Young Hearts program, and she has a full-time job. Her story is so important, and she wants everyone to know that no matter what you're dealing with, there is help and support for you. You are not alone. Be inspired by this incredible woman, Ange Foster. Ange, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, what people don't know is that we only met, e-met, <laughs> cyber-met, however you want to say it, um, this year, in the beginning of the year, because we both own a business and we were looking to collaborate and then COVID hit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember talking with you and it was the time where I had just closed down or shut down my business temporarily and, and it was through that that I began to learn your story and more importantly your health challenges which is one of those things that when you're in a situation and, and you know, I remember thinking back then in my situation, I'd closed down the business and I was pretty distraught. After talking with you, I'm like, well, holy shit. I mean, I've got my health. I'm, I'm pretty good, like otherwise. Mm. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is you're an inspiration to me. And I think uh, your story is a really important one to tell. So thank you for, for sharing with it with us today. Um, So let's kick this off. Can you give our audience or the audience a bit of background on you? Sure. Well, firstly, thanks for having me on, Jackie. Um, I think it's really important as part of my health journey to hear from others and connect with others. So that's why I'm so passionate about sharing my story. Um, I guess it's not so people can have that oh shit moment where they go, oh, poor Ange. Um, I have had to deal with a lot, but, you know, I share my story because I hope that it inspires others to face life head on no matter what's thrown their way. And we all have different curveballs thrown at us. Um, and I reflect on when we met and hearing your story and the challenges that you were going through 
particularly because we're in different states. I'm in, you know, Victoria here in Melbourne. You're in South Australia. So it was really um, interesting to hear from your perspective what was happening in your world. Um, you know, I guess in terms of my health journey, it's it's really been, gosh, I guess over 10 years that I've been experiencing challenges with my health. So really things um, sort of started to feel um, like I, you know, I wasn't on top of my health so much in my late 20s and right through to my late 30s. I'm now in my 40s. But um, I guess it's just been a really long road over those 10 years of discovering um, how to listen to my body and um, seeking help and and making sure that I kept going till I received diagnoses and was able to pinpoint what's going on. Um, so, yeah, over the last decade, I've had a lot to deal with. I have now three chronic health conditions. Um, the first one I was diagnosed with uh, in my late 20s was Hashimoto's disease. So that's an autoimmune disorder that affects your thyroid, um, specifically, basically your body attacks your thyroid, so it stops working. So it's, it's similar to um, how some people have type 1 diabetes. That's also an autoimmune disorder where the pancreas stops producing insulin. So for me, with the thyroid, um, basically it stopped producing the hormones my body needed to operate and, and run itself, essentially. Um, the second diagnosis I received um, uh, following that, so about three or four years um, after that diagnosis, I was still feeling quite run down and fatigued. Um, and I had had a lot to deal with in my personal life as well. Um, and I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which um, is a really tricky kind of, um, I guess, condition. But mainly it's fatigue and, and lack of being able to sleep for me that I found. Um, and particularly a lot of pain in my muscles and bones and joints. So the way that that was diagnosed was basically a process of elimination. Um, there is no test, definitive test, that you can really do for fibromyalgia, but I had sleep studies and blood tests and I saw, you know, lots of specialists and, and spoke to my GP and um, essentially um, based on ruling out anything else and seeing a rheumatologist um, to diagnose certain trigger points in my body, I was then diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, both of those conditions are treated with medication and lifestyle change. Um, so I was going along pretty pretty well, all things considered after that. I had learned a lot about my body and how to look after myself um, and, you know, in regular contact with my GP and, and my medical uh, team, I guess, of different specialists. And then um, the biggest surprise of all was when I was diagnosed with heart failure. Um, and that happened about, oh, actually, nearly three years ago to the day. Um, I was diagnosed with heart failure, um, severe heart failure. So I, I was in hospital for a couple of weeks um, until all the tests were run and, they, and the, the team could figure out what was going on. Um, so that's been my most significant uh, health curveball, I think. So, you know, a lot has happened in the past three years as well. That's Oh, that's yeah past three years and decade I mean, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that's um 
you know, it is it is part of who I am, but obviously it doesn't define who I am. And I think that's a really important point that, you know, I do have challenges like everyone. Um, and those are, I guess, the more formal um, health diagnosis mm. I've received over the last 10 years. But also with that comes challenges with mental health, challenges with navigating the world around me, my career, my family life. Um, you know, so on top of that, there are a number of challenges that I've also been through as a result of those diagnoses and yeah. how to listen to my body, how to really tune into my thoughts and look after myself, both mentally and physically. Let's, let's go back to heart failure. Mm. Can you tell us about your symptoms leading up to that diagnosis? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, Looking back now, the symptoms that I was experiencing all led up to something pretty significant. But at the time, I didn't feel it was anything out of the ordinary. So I'd, I'd come back from a trip to Bali. So it had been probably four or five weeks since I returned from Bali. Uh, and I noticed I started to get quite breathless, you know, just doing my normal walking around, nothing strenuous like I wasn't doing a marathon or anything like that but I started to feel breathless and over a couple of weeks that slight breathlessness became significant where I actually had to stop on my way to work between walking from the tram to my workplace which wasn't far and I thought whoa that's really weird like I know I could do with you know getting a bit more fit but this isn't normal um, and on top of that I was feeling just general fatigue flu-like symptoms, um, so snuffly and a, and a bit of a cough. Um, and the other most significant um, sort of symptom I had was cold cold sweat. So I'll break out in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. I'd wake up at, say, 2 or 3 in the morning and I'd just be absolutely drenched. So the things that were running through my mind were, oh, my God, am I going through early menopause? <laughs> like this, this weird sort of, you know, hot, cold feeling I had and the clammy sweats. Um, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing I thought, gee, maybe I've picked up a virus in Bali um, because, you know, it happens. So I thought, you know, maybe that was um, something that had happened and I'd better go and get it checked out. Um, so I went to my GP with those sort of things in my mind, I guess. Um, but never in a million years would I have guessed there was anything going on with with my heart. Um, so, yeah, it was a it was a big shock. And, and then and then what? Like you're told you've got heart <laughs> failure. Like yeah. what goes through your mind? Well, um, lots of things, to be honest. Um, I think first was shock. Like I honestly thought, oh, they, yeah. they've got the wrong patient, you know. There was that instant sort of the very first thought I had was denial, but not denial. Like I didn't say to the cardiologist, oh, you've got it wrong. But the very first thing that came into my head was what? That can't be right. Um, but then obviously, you know, I got my head around it and asked some questions about, well, what do you mean heart failure? Like, what is mm. that? How do, what? Uh? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've got, I don't have a family history really of um, this condition, which is called dilated cardiomyopathy. It's a bit of a tongue, tongue tie. Um, but I've, you know, I've learned to just rolls off the tongue now. But um, at the time, I kind of went, what? Can you spell that for me, please? Because I have no idea what 
practices that you've just told me. Um, So it was, it literally was a real shock diagnosis. Like that morning I went to my GP before work, expecting just to have a blood test and be back at work. Oh no, I got sent straight to the hospital and I didn't return to work for three months from that day. So it all happened really quickly and it scared me how unwell I actually was without realising. So that it pretty quickly became real um, for me. And if you haven't picked up already, listeners, there is a Kiwi accent. Um, So I am originally from New Zealand. Um, So, you know, my first thought was uh, to call my family and let them know what was going on. I'm really close with my mum and dad. I'm really close with my sister. And um, obviously my husband lives here with me in Melbourne, so he was totally across what was going on. But, you know, how do you how do you prepare yourself to tell your family who are in another country that you've got heart failure and it's really serious? And at that stage, um, I didn't know a lot about what to tell them. Um, but my mum and dad jumped on a plane the next day, really, and came over to support me and to support my husband, um, particularly when I was discharged from hospital um, to help me feel confident around the house by myself while my husband was still at work. Um, how long How long did it take for them to discharge you? Uh, so I was in the hospital for about two weeks um, and that really was, all things considered, pretty quick. Um, basically the main thing is they started me on different types of medication And they just needed to slowly add to the cocktail over those two weeks and make sure that my body could could handle it, basically. Um, But, you know, all things considered, I was a pretty uh, unwell patient. Um, So we weren't sure how long I would be in hospital. But luckily, it was just a couple of weeks for me and my body responded really well to the medication. So I was able to go home. But, you know, the road to recovery from being discharged from hospital to actually being able to function and get back to work was a lot longer than I expected. So it was, you know, three months before I returned to work. And when I did, it was only, you know, for a couple of hours at a time. It was a very graduated return to work over a year. Um, And for me, you know, I thought, oh, my God, this is taking forever. Like I wanted to get back to my life. But a lot of people with my condition never regain um, the ability to return to work um, and some of them are not as lucky as me um, you know some of them are on a heart transplant list um, or have received a heart transplant or are too unwell to even um, be considered so it, it was a lot to get my head around and understand um, the condition and how lucky I am to be in the position I am today. You, you're talking about getting your head around it did you have um, a support network was there anyone telling you or pointing you in the direction of what sort of information to consume or what sort of lifestyle you should adopt um there was a lot of information thrown at me mm. um you know I was at the Alfred in Melbourne which is luckily for me the closest to my home but is one of the best hospitals in Australia for heart care and um so you know I had uh, a coordinator at the hospital, so not a doctor, not a nurse, just an everyday person that was there to answer my questions, which was really important. She was lovely. She popped in to see me. She gave me some booklets to read, which I gobbled up, of course, because I wanted to know what was going on. 
but I did feel very alone despite having the formal support from the hospital obviously my parents had come from New Zealand my husband was popping in every day to see me I did feel very alone and I did feel very unsure about what the future would bring I mean to paint a picture for the listeners I was the only young person on a ward of about 150 people. You know, the only young people I saw were the nurses. Um, Everybody else was quite elderly, very frail and very sick, very unwell people in the cardiac ward. So that was really scary for me. I thought, what am I doing here? (laughs) You know, why is someone like me so young? Um, You know, what can I do? to make sure I I give myself the best chance at life again, really. And um, so I just set about learning as much as I could about my condition. I asked lots of questions. um, And I think that comes from being a confident person um, and an English-speaking person as well. A lot of people in the ward, English is not their first language. So, you know, I count myself as very lucky to be able to absorb information and be able to ask questions Mm. in a medical setting. And, you know, I look back on the other two diagnoses I received before this, and they really set me up well for being able to deal with this head on. I think, you know, understanding medical terms, being confident with asking questions about your own health, like those are all things I learned myself over the past 10 years. Um, but in saying that, I'm very grateful for the support network I have. But for me, it's it was just how do I get on with life? Like, I never once stopped to think, um, you know, I, I only got sad once, actually, and that was more a panic attack than anything. Um, but I never once stopped to feel sorry for myself or sad. I just was like, right, what do I need to do? How can I make this something that I can throw myself into and and try and do the best I can for my health and my future, really. Yeah, absolutely. And so prior to this diagnosis, did you, I mean, did you have a, I guess, a health and wellness routine or was it not until this came about that you really knuckled down and said, this is super important for me now? Yeah, I mean, look, I'd always, uh, from the very first um, diagnosis, I had become much more aware of my health than the average 28-year-old or 30-year-old. And I'd also become much more focused on my own self-care routine, which included, you know, downtime, um, going to see a psychologist, regular checkups with my GP, massages you know those kinds of things but at the end of the day I was your you know average 20 something who wanted to go out with my friends burn the candle at both ends you know have a life have a career all of that so you know the idea of looking after myself yes it was there in the background probably more so than my peers but it wasn't top of mind and you know it wasn't something that I really could master I tried um but you know uh looking back the real light bulb moment for me was the heart failure it was you know it was really serious and my life has changed and my outlook has changed and my self-care routine has changed significantly since I was diagnosed three years ago um because you know without your heart there's not much else going on (laughs) whereas the other conditions I had were all 
you know, kind of manageable ones. They weren't necessarily life-threatening. They're very serious, but they're not life-threatening like heart failure can be. Um, so that was that was a massive um, change in direction for the way that I approach my life, yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. What does your uh, health and self-care look like now? And you also mentioned your mindset. I'd love to dive yeah. into that as well. Um, it's funny because... I'll just touch on the mindset first. And the reason why I say it's funny is I guess the thing is when you have conversations in your own head, your own mind, like you just assume everybody else navigates the world or thinks about the world the same way that you do because, you know, it's you and your mind having a conversation together. But the thing that I've discovered is that's not true. Obviously, everybody has a different way of interpreting the world. And I think that mindset is probably one of the most important factors in determining how people um, respond to and react to things that happen to them. So specifically in a health setting, you know, you'll hear people say a positive outlook is, you know, really, really important. Easier said than done. But I must say that, you know, for me, the mindset is something I've had from a young age. So I'm a very optimistic person. I'm very lucky that I've had parents who support me and love me um, and have given me every opportunity in life to be the person that I am today. So, you know, I feel very grateful for that. But particularly my mum was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was very young. So in the early 80s, obviously, she was my role model looking back now um, of how to approach a significant diagnosis um, and a health concern. So my mum became um, very unwell and very vulnerable, but, you know, she still was herself and made the best of her situation. So I guess from a mindset perspective, that's something that's just part of my makeup. Um, My grandmother was a big um, sort of influence in my childhood as well, and she had a number of health challenges too, which she was always very open with us about. Um, so I guess that really helped me understand that I wasn't alone and that a mindset can really determine the outcome of how um, how you navigate a health diagnosis. Can I interject there? Yeah. So you've said, um, you know, that your, your mother was vulnerable and right now during COVID, like obviously you're vulnerable already but like even more so now Mm. being in Victoria like how how does that change your perspective mindset outlook what are you what are you doing yeah it's scary Mm. it's scary um for people that have you know pre-existing conditions and are already vulnerable um to certain viruses like the flu season is a scary thing for people like me um yeah, when COVID first came out, I was very, very engaged and interested in what was going on because obviously, you know, health is top of mind for me. And I still remember the day I was sitting at my desk doing my work and I, and the week leading up to this decision, I'd been very, I'd been thinking about it a lot. How do I protect myself? Am I overthinking this? Am I not? Should I self-isolate at home? What, like, you know, it was all of these emotions And it all culminated in um, a day, it was a Thursday, I still remember, I was sitting at my desk at work and the news came out that Tom Hanks 
had been had tested positive for COVID-19 well on a movie set in, in the Gold Coast. And that also coincided with the day that the World Health Organization officially called uh, what we were going through a pandemic. And for me, I just went, right, that's it. That that's the that's the sort of flag, red flag I've been waiting for. So I said to my boss, look, I'm gonna pack up and go home and I'll I'll be working from home until we know what's going on. So I didn't wait for someone to tell me yeah. it's time to go home and I didn't wait for my boss to tell me it was okay. I just made the decision for myself and if anyone was gonna stop me, well too bad <laughs> like I'm very confident in what I need to do to protect myself and look after myself so I did and that was the 12th of March and I have not been back into the office since it's now you know mid-October here in Melbourne um so I'm not sure when people will be listening to this but we'll probably still be in lockdown um so it's been a really really long time um between making that decision and being where I am today and there was a lot of fear within my heart community. So, um, you know, there was a lots of nervousness, a lot of people unsure about what it meant. And, uh, you know, we're very vulnerable. So basically from that day, I have been at home and I do my shopping online anyway as much as I can. That hasn't changed. Um, and I've really been into a shop or uh, a restaurant or anything like that for, for nearly seven months now um, and I'll continue to do that until I feel as though I'm safe yeah, and sure. I don't know when that will be yeah yeah so what about um, you know that self-care routine it's, I think I feel like this is a two-part answer <laughs> yeah. because it's like what self-care look like now and what yes. was it pre-COVID yeah, I mean, beforehand, um, before COVID is, you know, looking after myself. So when I say that, it's different for everyone. But for me, it's about taking my medication on time, religiously, and I think that's really important. Medication is keeping me alive, so that's important. Um, I try to get enough sleep now. so. Um, you know, in my earlier days, I guess before um, COVID and before the heart failure, um, you know, I was I didn't sleep much, and I, you know, people go, oh, you know, sleep's really important, and I was like, yeah, 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 but it really is. <laughs> like um, making sure I get to bed on time and I rest and I have a wind down routine is probably one of the most important things for my own personal self care and for my health. So um, that's important. And, yeah, looking after myself and putting myself first, that's probably been the hardest thing to master is, you know, I try to do a lot and I do do a lot and I have a lot of friends. Um, so, uh, you know, I never used to say no to anything. It was always yes, 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 and my needs would come last or not at all. So learning over the last few years to put myself first has been probably um, something that's really turned around um, how I spend my time yeah. and how I make time for myself. Pre-COVID, um, you know, my routine was pretty much the same as um, I mentioned before, so regular massages, 
taking my medication, my GP checkups, getting regular exercise, um, you know, and post-COVID has been a slow, a sort of slow, long burn of slowly losing all of those, the ability to do all of those things. So osteopaths, remedial massage therapists, they've all been closed here in Melbourne now for um, going on 10 weeks. Um, so that's been really hard for me because with my fibromyalgia, um, you know, I would be, I'd alternate between a remedial massage therapist and an osteo every two weeks. So, you know, I've missed out on many cycles of that. So my body is sore and there's only so much I can do for myself at home. Um, but, you know, it's just meant I've had to amp that up. So I'm trying as much as possible to have magnesium baths because that helps my muscles relax. It's sort of a bit rejuvenating too because it's quiet time for me in a bath, which is nice. Um, and making sure I'm using, you know, all my tools from my physios over the years, like my roller and, exactly. you know, my spiky ball. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard not being able to go and see those people who care for me and help me um, relax and unwind and look after my body. Um, so that's been really challenging because that was a big part of my routine. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been the tough part. Well, speaking of challenges, you've also got a full-time job and you've got a side business and you're volunteering as a committee member for the Heart Foundation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just a wee bit. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, those things have come on over time, I guess. Um, as I've recovered, I've felt that I have the energy to do those things. Um, and I guess that's a really important point around energy. So it's not like I've taken on all these things all at once as soon as I got out of hospital. Um, and I monitor my energy as well. Like some weeks are good, some weeks are bad. And I do say no to some of those things when I have to. Um, and I guess that's really important for listeners is, I'm not this wonder woman that does it all 24-7, you know, hustle, hustle with lots of stuff on. There are times where I'm really tired and I stop. Um, and I think that's important. You've got to listen to your body and you've got to learn when to put the brakes on. Absolutely. Mm. But, yes, I do all of those things because they give me passion and they make me happy. And I feel that it approaches, you know, it gives me the ability to approach my life with purpose. So I don't do things anymore for other people. <laughs> I do them for me. And I think that's a really important distinguishing factor is, um, you know, I do um, commit my spare time to the advisory committee for supporting young hearts because I'm passionate about that. I don't want other people in my situation, young people with heart conditions to feel as alone as I did. Um, so that's why I do what I do and it makes me feel good. And it gives me purpose. Um, with my side business, the little gift loft, once again, that's the entrepreneur in me. Um, you know, I really enjoy a challenge and I actually love being part of somebody else's happiness. So gifting is amazing because I know that when I put a little gift together, like that's going to be something in someone's day that's going to help brighten their day. It's going to make them feel happy. So that gives me happiness. Um, and then my career, of course. I mean, that's um, important because, 
it's a lot of my social life. It's um, a lot of my creative outlet as well. But also it it brings money in and it pays my mortgage. So, you know, one of the biggest concerns I had in my recovery over the last three years was finance. You know, it's not every day as a 38-year-old that you think, oh, my goodness, what happens if I can never work again? How am I going to pay off my mortgage? Um, you know, how am I going to live? I can't retire at 38. So, you know, um, having a job is is a really important part of of being able to fulfil my my life, really. Was was that the driver behind the little gift loft? Um, in some respects, yeah. I mean, the idea started because I thought, oh, my goodness, like if I'm not able to return to full-time work, if I'm not able to work for the rest of my life. So, I mean, people that may have cardiomyopathy or know someone that has cardiomyopathy you know the stats aren't very good like a lot of the stuff I was reading is like people's life expectancies 10 to 15 years so I was thinking oh okay so that puts me at like 55 <laughs> so if I've only got you know that much time left what do I want to do with it how do I want to support myself if I can't go back to full-time corporate work um, so that's where the seed was planted um, and I started thinking about, well, what could work look like for me if it wasn't in an office in a corporate building? Um, so, yeah, I guess that was the start of the journey. Oh, please tell us more because, <laughs> you know, what did it look like? How did you come to then packing gift boxes? I don't know. I don't know. It just happened. I guess I'm one of those people that, you know, and I, a seed will be planted in my mind and I do tune into my thoughts a lot I think that's an important point around self-care is allowing yourself to pause in a busy world and just tune in so often you know if I'm thinking about something and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back then I go okay I, I need to do something with this I can't just have thoughts you know returning in my head and I'm quite action focused as well so once I've made up my mind I just do, I just get something done so, you know, I had um, done sort of a little small business before this, which was creating jewellery. So I knew I had this creative outlet within me that I needed to nurture and um, sort of get back to giving me that kick that I got from being creative. Um, but I also knew that that wouldn't sustain me from a financial perspective. So I really just started thinking, well, what can I do? What can I do from home? What can I do that, um, you know, makes me happy and makes other people happy? And through my previous little business, I'd done a lot of market stalls here in Melbourne. And I, I got to know a lot of makers within Melbourne and a lot of shop owners who sold my products and things like that. So I really wanted to do something that supported those people too, because I know how hard it is to get cut through and and be a local maker um, and make money out of it. So that's where I kind of came up with the idea that, you know, I love all of these beautiful products. I don't have time to make anything myself, but I can support other people that do. And then so I started thinking, well, I could just make gift boxes because I'm really good at that, <laughs> like my friends tell me all the time. 
if there's a gift that needs to be bought or someone wants an idea of, you know, what do I buy, my auntie? It always seems to be me that comes up with ideas and, you know, people's going away gifts for work and things like that were always something that I ended up doing. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, mm, well, maybe I'm good at that. So I sort of thought, yeah, I am really good at putting things together and, um, you know, that suit a personality or that suit a price point. So it sort of just snowballed from there. So once I'd sort of made up my mind, I, you know, I was up and running in a couple of months because I just sort of put my mind to it um, and built everything from the ground up. So I am the only person behind my business. I do it all. I think that's such, I, it's such an incredible message and so important right now as well, because, you know, obviously during this period with COVID, you know, there are people out there who've either lost their jobs or, um, you know, no longer working for, for whatever reason and, and, and could be pondering like, you know, what next and, um, and figuring that out along with, you know, asking yourself the question, what do I really love to do? What do I enjoy? What I, what do I actually want to be doing for the rest of my life? Even more so is, um, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes that's a hard like, question. It is, it is a really hard question. Um, and it took me, you know, it's, a good few weeks to figure out in my head like all of these thoughts I was having but you know with that comes what am I good at what do I want to do what am I passionate about and what's financially viable as well so you know I think those are probably three things that really steered me in the direction of where I am today so don't get me wrong I didn't just go oh I'm gonna create a gift box business yay you know I, I I worked out the numbers I spoke to experts I spoke to friends that I knew um had started their own businesses I spoke to retailers who I had relationships with to say you know what what is it that people are after um what are people like I did a lot of research on you know how how much do Australians spend on gifts in a year? So, you know, I did I did crunch the numbers as well as having the dream, um, you know, to arrive at something that was feasible. Um, but you know, from there, I really I haven't I haven't looked back. It's been a fun journey, and I've learned a lot. Um, and yeah, I just hope it keeps getting better and better, and I learn more and grow more. Absolutely. Looking back over the last decade now, what is what is one thing that you've learnt about yourself? Oh, just one thing? I've learned a lot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, there, there is. Um, look, I, I, I guess I have learnt a lot about myself and I think self-reflection and um, being open to understanding who I am is really important so you know I guess when I was younger I had like most people probably you have this idealistic view of the world you know yes I'm gonna grow up and get a job and buy a house and you know achieve all those things you dream of as a child um so getting over that for me was big you know sort of letting go of those dreams was probably the biggest challenge and understanding well that's not a failing but it's an opportunity you know life is unpredictable 
Um, and for me, you know, nine tenths of life is how you face it, you know, how you deal with those curveballs that come your way. And I've learned that about myself, that you have to be open to learning about yourself and being aware of yourself and yeah, just sort of going with it rather than fighting it. Yeah. Amazing. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, I guess if well, that as long sort as it of makes one sense thing, to you, like, <laughs> you know, I guess that that is the yeah. one thing I've learned is that different, um, you know, a different life that you're living to the one that you dreamt of. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity, and you know, life is unpredictable. Absolutely. <clears throat> Let's just quickly talk about the little gift loft. You've got some incredible stuff there. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, gosh, where do I begin? I just love, I mean, I love supporting local, um, you know, local businesses. And that's how you and I got to meet, right? Because yeah. I'm really passionate about collaborating with local businesses and supporting local businesses. So everything that I stock, 100% is from Australian or New Zealand um, brands. And most of the time, they're small brands that you won't find in the big department stores. You know, you might be lucky enough to have a local market that has some of them. But, you know, generally speaking, they're these hardworking, creative, lovely, inspiring people that create a product. And I, I bring it to life for you to buy for yourself or to give to others. So, you know, it is a really unique um, premium offering that we have at the Little Gift Loft. But something I'm really proud of because I do take time and care and curating what you see. And every product has a person behind that brand, a real person, like a mum and dad or a family or, you know, dynamic duos, a lot of women that run their own business while managing their kids. You know, these are real people. And so I guess that's, you know, that's really important part of what I do with the Little Gift Loft is, is bringing those products and those people um, to life and, and giving them an opportunity to sell their products. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I can definitely see the, the love behind every gift. That's for sure. Like oh. you said, you know, you take pride in that curation and, and how it looks yeah. and they, they are truly gorgeous um, looking Aww. gifts for sure. And you are super generous in giving our listeners a little, little 10% off their yes. next purchase. And that's Absolutely. kind of perfect coming up to a Christmas as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, look, I'd be happy to, um, to offer the listeners a 10% discount, um, especially at this time of year, like we might not be able to see our loved ones. So what better way to send them a gift and, and for me to extend generosity uh, to your listeners by giving them 10% off. Yeah, we will have that code in the show notes. If anyone wants to find out more about you and your story or the little gift loft, how can they find out more info? Uh, well, you can look me up on Instagram, uh, the little gift loft. Um, and Jackie will put that in the notes below. So you can find me there. You can also find me online at thelittlegiftloft.com.au. And if you want to learn a little bit more about my heart story and my health journey, then you can also um, 
click the link below and that'll take you to the Heart Foundation website where there is a story about me and my journey there too. So if you're interested in the health aspect, um, then go ahead and, and take a look. Yeah, we'll have all of that in the show notes for sure. To uh, end this incredible interview, Ange, what is your message to anyone dealing with any health issues? I guess my message is ask questions. It's your health. It's your body. You're the master of your own destiny. So arm yourself with that information. No question is a stupid question. You know, surround yourself with people that care about you. Um, you know, and I mean not just friends and family. I mean your GP. Find, you know, if you need to find a specialist, keep going till you find one that resonates with you. If you need extra support or you're going through mental health challenges, find a counsellor, find a psychiatrist, find a psychologist, someone that you connect with. And I've been through a few of those people till I've found the right ones. So look after yourself and do what you need to do to, to give yourself the best chance. Incredible. And I think you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You're welcome, Jackie. Thanks. She is an incredible woman. And every time that we catch up, and by catch up, I mean over Zoom, she always has a smile on her face with so much positive energy. I hope you are inspired to take some positive action in your life because this is our own life to live so make it an amazing one thank you once again as always for tuning in it's an honor and a pleasure and i appreciate your time make sure you share this with your friends and subscribe and have a wonderful day week month and year and here is to a world of bodies built better